This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner-nominated Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. Hacha! Hi, this is Doc Shaner, artist on this year's Deadpool Annual from Marvel, and you're listening to the Two-Headed Nerd with Joe and Matt. Sort of, sort of break it, break it down like this. Welcome to episode 142 of episode of THN is what I have written here. <laughs> well, we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, December 5th. My name is Matt Baum. You can find me on the Twitter under the handle at Matt Baumstein. And when I'm not mispronouncing names like it's my damn job, I'm writing the Comic Speculator blog for WorthPoint.com. And I'm Joe Patrick. You can find me at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not pandering to Twitter followers that call Matt out, instead of defending my friend... What is, when did this happen? When Dude Man was making fun of me for saying Rick Remender's name wrong. But now I'm never going to say it correctly. I make fun of you too. Whatever. It's not the point. Someone else was doing it and you're supposed to say, no, that's not okay. I'm standing up for my friend. I'm the manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and the artist slash co-creator of the upcoming hit webcomic series, The Untold Tales of the Two-Headed Nerd. That's right. Sent him a script. He I did. Sent him a it's script. It's real. And, and it's true. And it's good. In this week's episode, you'll hear our reviews of Terminator, Salvation, The Final Battle, number one, and Rover, Red, Charlie, which should probably have like commas between it or something. Number one. After that, we'll review 10 of this week's comics. Faster than robot drones can deliver you your sex toys during the ludicrous speed round. And yes, they do have sex toys on Amazon. Then we'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum where, let's just say we had a Terrigen Mist party and things got a little out of control. Long story short, we learn some things about next week's comics. And finally... It's time again to play Ask a Nerd, but before we say goodbye to the last quality human being on the planet, let's take a moment to remember the man that was Nelson Mandela. If you're too young to know who the man was, look him up, and then, and only then, will we talk about this week's big news. Warner Brothers has confirmed that Wonder Woman will be featured along with Superman and Batman in the upcoming Man of Steel sequel. 28-year-old Israeli actress Gal Gadot. Gadot? Are you sure it's not Gadot? Gal Gadot <laughs> will play Diana in the film, starring alongside Henry Cavill and Ben Affleck. Gadot is best known as Giselle. Let's go with Gadot. <laughs> Gadot is best known as Giselle from the Fast and the Furious franchise. Speaking of the casting, director Zack Snyder said, quote, Wonder Woman is arguably one of the most powerful female characters of all time and a fan favorite in the DC Universe. Not only is Gal an amazing actress, but she also has that magical quality that makes her perfect for the role. We look forward to audiences discovering Gal in the first feature film incarnation of this beloved character. Boy, that sounded canned. Uh-huh. While the casting brought Fast and Furious snap judgments from fanboys across the world. I see what you did there. Yeah, that was good. That was good. It should be noted that Ghetto is a former professional sports trainer and spent two years in the Israeli Defense Force. Matt Baum, my gut reaction to this news was not positive. First of all, if you live in Israel, you go into the military, whether you like it or not. Mandatory <laughs> conscription. So I'm not saying, wow. And what did she do there? Second of all, Wonder Woman. Listen, were you in the Israel Defense Force? I did not grow up in Israel, sir. Hmm. But if I did, I would have Aren't been there. Aren't you Jewish? <laughs> not in Israel. Oh. Secondly, Wonder Woman is a big, tall, Amazonian, ripped up powerhouse. She towers over most men. She yeah. intimidates men. She is a monster of a woman. 
Gal Gadot. In a good way. Looks like she weighs less than 100 pounds. It's true. There is no reason why I should be able to pick Wonder Woman up over my head and throw her across the street. Okay? I'm sorry. I'm sure she's a wonderful actress. I'm sure she does great work. I'm giving her the benefit of the doubt here. Sure. She is not Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman should not be a frail little cat burglar. And I can't believe that Zack Snyder, of all people, is going to bend to this and allow another waif model to take on a powerhouse of a role like this. Where is Gina Carino? Seriously. Come on. She's not a good actress. I'm not saying she is, but you know what? She's a great, big, tall, badass of a woman. She beat the crap out of uh, Channing Tatum. Channing Tatum in haywire it was fantastic and she was a big badass woman she looked great she was intimidating and she was still sexy she was everything we want in a female actress yeah but i heard they totally had to like ray park her voice they did they changed her voice which do it again i don't care but don't give me this tiny little woman and call her wonder woman All all right all right all right Suffice it to say, our initial reactions are not confident. No, and it's not because I'm being sexist here. I'm saying I don't want the tiny little sexy girl. I want a powerhouse as Wonder Woman. It's certainly nothing against Godot or Gadot or however you pronounce her name. She might be a great actress. She just doesn't seem right for this part. No, she's not Wonder Woman. And this isn't like a Michael Clark Duncan as the Kingpin thing either. No, or remember when Nicolas Cage was supposed to be Superman and everyone right. lost their yes. minds? Like a swarthy... Like a, like a swarthy... Like a skinny, bald... A swarthy Italian ugh. dude as yeah. Superman is not really... Oh, boy. Yeah. It just doesn't work. It's puzzling. It's puzzling. And I'm now very, very, very curious to see... Right first footage or whatever a trailer of some kind anything to show me that this is not going to be some sort of terrible misrepresentation of the character yeah i'm not excited at all because this is the first big screen representation of wonder woman and if they get it wrong it's a big deal yeah definitely in comic book news marvel's announced two more titles in their all new marvel now initiative the first is a relaunch of wolverine and the x-men by writer jason latour and Mahmoud Asrar. Latour described his initial storyline on the title as the summer semester to Jason Aaron's first school year. In the wake of Battle of the Atom, several staff members and students have left the Jean Grey school, leading Wolverine to recruit Phantom X, who I'm pretty sure is split in three still, as his new instructor. Initially, the series will place a stronger focus on the student's that had nowhere else to go. Specifically, Evan Sabah-Nur, I.D. Oconquo. <laughs> Damn you! <laughs> I spelled that out just for you. I know, and I appreciate that. The second title will be a Magneto solo series by writer Cullen Bunn and artist Gabriel Hernandez, Walta. Bunn describes the series as a mix between detective and vigilante justice tales. Bunn says the general populace of Earth is still terrified of the former villain, and that he is still seen as something of a monster by the world at large. The series will examine Magneto's troubled relationships with his children, Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch, which I don't think they've touched on for quite some time now. Been a while, yeah. And his best frenemy, Chucky Xavier, as he runs afoul of S.H.I.E.L.D. and a reformation of the cultish acolytes. Both series launch in March, Joe. What do we think here? Wolverine and the X-Men relaunching... 
I'm kind of a it's I kind of a bummer. Yeah, I don't need it. Like, uh, don't get me wrong, I love Jason Latour and Mahmoud Asra. I do too, but I wish they were working on something else. When they announced that Jason Aaron was going to wrap that series up and it was going to come to a close, yeah, they I made was it like, sound like it's you going know away. What? That's good. Just we've had enough of it. Let's right. do something new now. And Amazing X Men is it carrying that, that void, that same feeling, and you know? it just we're just going to drag out another. We're just going to relaunch it, and it's going to be yet another X book. Yeah, and it might be really well done, but. Like, how many really well-done X-Books can you expect people to buy? Like we've both said, I feel like they're filling this void already. Right. And I know it seems weird to say, well, they're all good. It's, it's four or five great X-Men books. Sure, that's great if you're me and you can read whatever you want at the comic shop. Right. But it's not great for Aaron Myers or Roderick Ruth or whoever has to buy their comics off the rack. Poor Aaron Myers. Poor Aaron Myers. <laughs> and they have, to, like, somebody that's got to choose. Right. You know, it. Well, even as you, how, what do you suggest to these people? You know, when they come in and they go, I want to read this. Well, you're gonna, probably going to bypass the one that's already doing somebody else's job and just give them the best one, right? Right. If somebody says, I only have room in my budget for one X book, well, why don't we just have one or two great X Men books? Why right. do we need five X Men? It's X-Men not going to be the relaunch of Wolverine and the X Men. And, you know, the same goes for Brian Wood's X-Men. It does not fill a void. And I know that they hyped it as this all-female book, and initially there was some buzz behind that. But, like, I don't know anybody that's reading that book desperately clinging to that book because it's where they see all their favorite female X-Men. Right. And not to mention the fact that, like, Uncanny X-Force is already, like, a female-dominated book, too. So, it... it I, I feel like there are, Marvel is doing a lot of this... In, in Marvel now, putting out more and more and more of the popular franchises instead of using it to rejuvenate properties that might need a new coat of paint, like they're doing with Warren Ellis' Moon Knight. Right. Or like Alpha Flight. Or, I mean, like there's so or many. Or Cloak and Dagger or right. anything. Uh, Power Man and Iron Fist. Right. You know. The X-Men is safe. They know the X-Men's going to sell. That's why we're getting this. And nothing against these creators. I just am not. I'm no, I like them both. It. I like them both. Now, the Magneto series, I think, is actually kind of a fun idea. See, here's why I don't. Because Cullen Bunn, who I love, who does a fantastic job at Oni Comics on both Helheim and The Six Gun, I have yet to enjoy something he's done at Marvel. Uh, that's fair, and I agree. I'm not a big fan of his Marvel work so far. I just... I really like the premise behind this Magneto series. I, I sounds cool enough. And I think a series starring a, a character of questionable morality, to put it mildly, is kind of a fascinating idea. I love the fact that you know he's going to be followed around by Shield because he's he's Magneto. Right. They're watching him, and that the acolytes are reforming, whether he wants them to or not. And if it's Magneto out there, like, solving crimes and dishing out, you know, harsh justice, I think that's kind of a fun idea. Okay, nerd bet. You ready? Yes. Magneto, canceled before issue 12. Canceled. Why do we got to cast a pallor on Cullen Bud's good fortune? You you don't have to. I'm doing it. You bet against me. I am betting against you. This is what I'm saying. You're saying that it will last longer than 12 issues. Yes. Nerd bet on. There we go. Canceled before issue 12. I got it in the notes. Boom. You're a fair-handed comic book journalist. Hey, buddy. Just keeping it real. <laughs> Finally, writer slash Huckster Mark Miller has revealed the first title Huckster. <laughs> in the upcoming launch of his creator-owned superhero shared universe. Starlight, a six-issue space fantasy, will launch in March from Image Comics written by Miller, 
with art by Goran Parlov. In an interview with The Hollywood Reporter, Miller described Starlight saying, quote, It centers on a space hero who saved the universe 35 years ago but came back to Earth, where no one believed his fantastic stories. He settled down, got married, had kids, and got old. And then that old sparky Buster Crab era rocket ship comes back and needs him for one last adventure. <clears throat> Miller described the new title as both Flash Gordon meets the Dark Knight and Buzz Lightyear meets Unforgiven. <laughs> He then, I love to see that final scene where Buzz Lightyear is like at the bar, sweating and shaking. <laughs> he then followed up by describing the next title in the line, the previously announced MPH, as the Fast and Furious without cars. Okay. Now, Matt, I can't quite see you. Are you still here or did you drown in this fog of hype? I'm still here. And, I, you know, it sounds great. And everything Mark, Mil Mark Miller comes up with does sound great. And he does a really good job. The question is... How many issues are we going to get? How timely is it going to be? It's the same bullshit every time. And we, we just found out that Jupiter's legacy got pushed back from, what was it, from December to February? I mean, like, and that's issue two? No, no, they're on number three, so it would okay, be the so issue four. Issue. I mean, it's just always the same thing with Miller. He's got great ideas. I just... I, I don't know if the guy has trouble Everything focusing. Sounds, well, and it's I mean, not just him. It's his artists as well. Frank remember Wiley, War Heroes? On. Remember that book? I do remember War Heroes. Yeah, it was great. And it lasted for a solid two issues. First time I ever saw a really gigantic male dick in the comic book. Drawn by Tony Harris. <laughs> Drawn by, like fully yeah. realistic. <laughs> Real veiny. I like Mark Miller and he has great ideas. I just... It's hard to get excited about this stuff because you don't know how much of it you're actually going to get. The the execution is key. Yes, I agree. I, I do think that Starlight sounds like a lot of fun. It like does. Flash Gordon has come home. He got fat and old, and yeah. now they're like, we need you. Great idea. I love it. So I'm into that. And Goran Parlov is not an artist. He uh, He's done like Punisher Max stuff. Right. He's good. He's, he's really good. He's not an artist that is necessar uh, necessarily known for... Madonna behavior or excessive lateness. No, he's the guy that can get the job done. So I'm kind of, I'm tentatively excited for Starlight. As for whether or not the rest of these books are going to deliver on Miller's promise. Yeah. You know, we like you said, we've heard it before. So it's a wait and see. But for now. That's all I'm saying is I've heard this before. Sure. But for now, I am looking forward to it where I wasn't before. Because I think Starlight sound, sounds like a lot of fun. Fair enough. Drink. You've already been drinking, if it isn't obvious to everybody. That's true. That's the big news for this week. If you want to discuss these stories or anything you think we missed, hit us up on our Facebook page, where the hype for the upcoming Untold Tales of the Two-Headed Nerd has reached a fever pitch. We're describing it as real steel without robots and way more full frontal male nudity. Like so much. <laughs> you should see the script. <laughs> Every Friday, the butt-naked Joe Patrick posts the question of the week on our THN web forum, which you can find by clicking the link at TwoHeadedNerd.com. Joe, what did we ask these listeners this week? This week's question is all about the Amazing Spider-Man 2 trailer. We've all seen it. It's controversial. We all know what's coming. Now, we want to know your first impressions. We want knee-jerk reactions. We want to know your hopes and your fears. Lay it on us. I want Let's Keith, get real about it. I want Keith Binder to call and tell us it's the worst thing he's ever seen. Except it's not. It's the best thing he's I mean, ever seen. It's kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> so, we'll save it. But we want to know what you guys think. The rhino. Ugh. I don't know. Right? Ugh. Ugh. 
Green Goblin? Where'd that come from? I don't know. Did you see those vulture wings? It was crazy. I mean, what the It was crazy. I haven't seen it. Oh. <laughs> I'm lying. <laughs> so, of course, we love it when you Skype us. Leave us a message. The handle's two-headed nerd, all one word. Or you can call our Ziggurat Direct hotline, 402-819-4894. You gotta keep that under three minutes or you'll get cut off. And, of course... You can always join the illustrious MP3 crew, which, if you're not careful, Matt will just cut you off anyway. Okay, first of all, three-minute rule. I'm just saying. Keep your MP3s south of three minutes. That's all we ask. You cut him off right before he gave us a very gracious thank you for letting the listeners play along. <laughs> Way to go, you heartless douchebag. You can send those MP3s to us at twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Keep them succinct. If you need more time than that, feel free to head to the THN web forums and write to your heart's content. We need your answers, folks. Get out there and we give them to us. We need them. We thrive on them. They're like cheeseburgers for us. They are like cheeseburgers. And we are like Wimpy from Popeye. <laughs> we are addicted to cheeseburgers. We get it. It's review time on THN where Joe and I cleave deep into two of this week's new comics to check the marbling on their muscles. Joe, what comic did you butcher this week? Well, Matt, I butchered, I, I guess I butchered Rover Red Charlie number one. That was so smooth. I can't believe that transition. That was amazing. <laughs> that, was am- <laughs> that was amazing. This is from Avatar Press, written by Garth Ennis, with art by Michael DePascal. But if you go by how they format the letters on the cover... It's Michael Dipascale. Dipascale. It's not Dipascale? I don't know. Dipascale is what right. I just said. One of those. We said it right. But it's all times. in caps on the cover, so it looks like Dipascale. Dipascale. Here's your solicit. When a worldwide epidemic suddenly rids the earth of all humans, what happens to man's best friend? Garth Ennis delivers a story like no other, as a band of canines set out to survive on their own for the first time. This is the story of three best friends at the end of the world. Charlie was a helper dog, and he was good at getting his feeders safely around. Now he and his pals Rover and Red must escape the failing New York City and find their way in this new order. While it doesn't explicitly tie in to Ennis's other famous Avatar project, Rover Red Charlie is essentially the story of Crossed from the pet's point of view. Right? But they don't have... Why, why not just make it that? That's um, my question. He was already writing it. I think you'd catch more people by not... Tying it to cross. But it's like a raged virus type thing still, well, even. I'll get to that. Okay, okay. It's not really, I don't think, a rage virus, but okay. I'll get to that. Some kind of plague of mass hysteria is comic causing humans or the feeders to lash out and harm themselves or others. It isn't nearly as graphic as Crossed. And Ennis, through the dog's narration, explains that no one ever discovered the reason things went so badly. But I think that the story Ennis and Deepa Scal deliver could just as easily fit in with any apocalyptic setting. Like when you when you look at what's going on, they don't look like in crossed, it causes depravity and, right. and a complete release of inhibition. Yeah, they tear each other's dicks off and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> right. In this like, In fact there's a lot of that. Yeah. The people that are afflicted, they look genuinely like distraught that it's happening. And they're not speaking English either. They're just like yelling nonsense. Well, I don't think they're yelling nonsense. I think that that's oh. how the dogs hear them. Oh, I hadn't thought of that. Right. Because we never really see them speaking any English. No, because it's all from the dog's point of view. Okay. 
It sounds silly, but Ennis's script is legitimately heartbreaking. The dogs can't comprehend the feeder's words or their behavior, and they react as best as they can with their limited understanding. There's a really good part, like the whole feeders don't hurt dogs. Feed, like where, like right, a, they see a friend of theirs get killed by a person who's spoilers. Well, no, I mean, off. but it's just another dog. I mean, it doesn't matter. It's not important in the story. The point is, they have this moment where they see one of the humans that they call feeders killing a dog and they lose their minds they're like feeders don't hurt dogs feeders don't hurt dogs and it's them barking and then like one of them is like yeah but there are those stories we've heard because like obviously dogs do get abused they were just treated well and everybody they knew was treated well so they assume well we're all treated well right which is a really cool like writing device from the dog's point of view everybody must come from a nice home they don't know michael vick obviously whose review is this shut up Anyway, it's weird, but Ennis somehow invokes the genuine sincerity and affection that you'd find in a friendly dog. And I love the way he gave words to their barking. They're, they're, <laughs> I'm a dog, I'm a dog, I'm a dog, I'm a dog. <laughs> Ennis did a great job imparting personalities on Rover, Red, and Charlie. Charlie is a fit service animal, the group's default leader. Rover is a British beagle, and he's the brains. And Red is their derpy companion, most likely to stop running from a burning building to make sure their butt smells okay. <laughs> this isn't a kid's book by any means. Characters do get hurt. And there is a truly chilling final page that I won't spoil here. Despite my initial hesitation, Ennis was really able to draw me into this tale. The art by Michael DePascal hovers between cartoony and photorealistic. It does stray a little too much toward photorealism here in a Greg Land kind of way. It does work best, though, when it's more exaggerated. Overall, I enjoy his painted style. There were some inconsistencies, but it, it's pretty decent. I wasn't expecting to like this at all, but Ennis and DePascal deliver a story that has genuine heart. And with the added layer that violence against dogs is just the worst, I find myself really invested in the story of these three canine pals. And their survival. I'm giving Rover Red Charlie number one a buy it. I am too. And I didn't expect much from it either. I do like Garth Ennis and I have enjoyed some of the crossed stuff that he has written. I just didn't know where this was going to go. And it wasn't comedy, but there was definitely like... It had some humor. A lightheartedness to it. But he definitely got into the psyche of a dog as a dog owner would picture it. Like the way that I picture how Beeps acts and how Mabel acts and stuff like that. Whereas, you know, like they're barking and screaming, I'm a dog, I'm a dog and whatever. But they also have conversations with each other and think things. But they're at this very basic dog level. You know, they're not human. They don't understand how the world works. They just understand that people feed us. That's why they call them feeders. Sure. <laughs> you know, like uh, it, on that level. It's a little bit like Sugar and Spike, the old DC yeah. comic from the 50s. Yeah. Where it's two babies that obviously are carrying on conversations with each other. Right. But to the humans, it's just all... Yeah, goo goo gaga or right. whatever. And it's kind of like that. And I know that referencing Sugar and Spike has instantly... I don't know why I acted like I knew, because I didn't. I didn't. Instantly, I Gregory Litchfield, where you at? You I, know what I'm talking about. I want about. to sound cool, too. Yes. <laughs> no, I really enjoyed this. And I thought Dipiscale, or Dipiscale, or whatever his name is, <laughs> I've seen his stuff before, and it's been fine. I thought this was a market improvement from some of the other stuff that he's done. Yeah. I think this is an interesting book, 
and props to Avatar for sort of turning their world-ending zombie ultra-violence on its head here. I'm I mean, it, it, is, a buy it. it is violent, and there is yeah. blood, but it's not like, look at the inside of this dog. Right. You know, it's not gory-gory. No dog's dicks get ripped off. <laughs> no dog's dicks get ripped off. <laughs> That's the major difference I noticed. Matt, what did you review this week? I read Terminator Salvation. Colon, final battle, number one. From Dark Horse, this is written by J. Michael Straczynski with art by Pete Woods. Here's your solicit. Hopping between the future and the past, this sweeping 12-issue epic counts down the end of the machine war, but not the one fans expect. Everything's at stake, and the fate of Skynet and John Connor will be told. This Terminator story starts with the familiar image of the ball lightning bringing someone back in time. This time it appears to be three different Terminators and one happens to be black. Just saying. As far as I can tell, they can have black Terminators. Uh, we've never seen one yet. They I'm, need to blend in. This is the first black. There Terminator. are black people. That's all I'm saying. Regardless, JMS really does an excellent job explaining away the whole why doesn't Skynet know its mission failed and we beat it when we launched the all-out attack in the future question. But it comes off as John Connor, a character we only really know from the point of Eddie Furlong and Christian Bale, who really just screamed a lot in the last Terminator film as being really cocky. I want to read this to you because... I think this really much sums it up. This is John Connor speaking to someone else who's asking him, how come Skynet doesn't know that this is happening? So from John Connor's point of view, and this sums up my whole problem with the Terminator mythos and why I really cannot invest myself in it anymore. John Connor, quote, it doesn't know that because it doesn't have a continuity of memory from a period before it became aware. I have that continuity of memory because I was there. None of the Terminators sent into the past survived long enough to pass on their knowledge in ways that would eventually enter Skynet. I'm sure Skynet has heard plenty of rumors. All it knows started at the moment it became aware. It knows that I helped lead the resistance to this point and that there may be a way to stop that from happening. So it's going to make its move. Okay, now, that, but that makes total sense to me. It makes total sense, but it's also really hard to get like excited about this, you know? It, but it's like, exactly it's exactly like Terminator Salvation. I suppose, but there's so the much... The Terminators don't know that in the past they lost. Right. But John knows because he lived it. Right. There's just so much time travel BS. It is crazy. That it gets really hard to stay invested in this. And I'd like to mention, we don't know John Connor. And I don't think, and I don't blame Christian Bale for it, but I don't think the last movie did a really good job of getting me excited about John Connor as a character. If anything, I was way more excited about the half Terminator, half human character. I was way more excited about Sam Worthington's character. The three panels of dialogue that John delivers are, like I said, the very problem with Terminator mythos that ultimately make the story just boring and theoretically unending. <laughs> Regardless, JMS does a good enough job developing some fairly interesting characters of his own that he's added to the mythos, but this just isn't the Terminator story that I think any Terminator fan has wanted since they saw the first film. 
Why can't anyone just show us the story of the man-machine war when the T-800s with the chrome skull faces marched across the globe and slaughtered humanity? I'm sure they've done that. I mean, Dark Horse has been publishing Terminator comics forever. We've seen bits and pieces of it, but we've never gotten that whole story. And I want to know why. It's easily the best part of the Terminator story. The story here is fine, and Pete Woods does a great job with his art, even going as far as to make sure the future is like noticeably lighted different than the past. There's no electricity in the future, so all the light comes from like trash cans with fires in them. But I just couldn't bring myself to care. If Dark Horse wants to save the Terminator franchise, they need to make John Connor an interesting character, like his mom, Sarah. We know nothing about John, and this story doesn't look like it's going to teach us anything new. I don't blame JMS, and personally, the Terminator continuity is not a place I'd like to play either. Maybe it's just time for Terminator to go? I'm giving this a skim it. How dare you, sir? How dare you? I, I just barely cared, and not because it was bad, just because it's tired. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't care either, and I... I don't necessarily think it's tired because, I mean, humans versus the machines, each one time traveling to right. get one up on the other. I mean, that's compelling. I've just seen it and a lot It's of definitely times. worth exploring. There's a recap page in the beginning recapping like past Terminator history. Right. Stuff that never happened that and we've never seen. I honestly had a moment of doubt where I thought maybe this isn't an original story. Maybe this is a sequel to something Dark Horse already published and we just don't know it. It's not. This is brand new. Okay, so there's this information dump in the beginning, and then they just go right into this. I right. found it very confusing. It was it, jerky at best, yeah. The script is fine. The characters are fine. You know, JMS is a talented writer. Pete Woods is a great artist. Everything about this is fine, and that's about it. Yeah. You know, it's so bogged down, and not in like a fun way where it's like, and then this happens, and then you have to place this together and then right. and then you remember what happened in terminator 3 rise of the machines and right. then this and and again no, it's I just think too much crap it's a product of the terminator continuity I think. it's too muddled yeah and number one of 12 right how muddled will it be by the end oh my god I, and it, like and seriously if you want to do something just tell me the story of john connor and make it good because we yeah. really don't know anything about that character i'm giving it a skim it too it's just it's it's too much if Terminator is going to continue at all, it needs to be stripped way down yeah. or rebooted from scratch. No, I totally like agree. Like everything else. Totally agree. Stop holding on to the old ones. Yes. If they've rebooted everything else. Just let it happen. Yes. So that is a double buy it for Rover, Red, Charlie, and a double skim it. For Terminator Salvation, the final battle. Of course, we want to know what you time-traveling killing machines and lost puppy dogs thought of these comics. So, take up all your clothes, travel back in time, and assault our great-grandparents with your opinions over at the THN forums, which you can find by clicking the forum button at TwoHeadedNerd.com. Paradox, they did not have forums back when our great-grandparents were alive. The writers weren't paying attention. <laughs> no. <laughs> Amazon.com made big headlines this week with their robot drone delivery service. Luckily, Matt and I saw right through this ruse and recognized it as step one in the great robot uprising. Terminator style! So join us in the THN duck blind alongside our good buddy Magnus Robot Fighter and the cast of Duck Dynasty as we see who can shoot the most drones out of the air while reviewing 10 new comics 
during this week's Ludicrous Speed Round. Shoot! I don't think you've ever seen Duck Dynasty. I have not. Ludicrous Speed! Go! Amazing Spider-Man 700.1 from Marvel. David Morrell, the creator of Rambo. One of my favorite films and characters. My arch nemesis, Cloth Jansen, bring us a pretty timeless flashback story about Peter Parker trying to rescue Aunt May during a brutal snowstorm. Honestly, I was expecting this to be a train wreck, but I found myself enjoying the story despite the art. Skim it. Dead World Restoration, number one from IDW. This one picks up right where the last Dead World left off, or so it says. I'm trusting the refresher page here. This isn't badly written, but it does seem to add some things to zombie canon that I don't care for. Like half zombies. Is there such a thing as zombie canon? Well, but I mean, like, we understand zombie rules. You either get bit and you turn into a zombie, and it's a magical thing, or it's a virus. That's pretty much the rules. Here, they introduce half zombies. What does that even f***ing mean? Are they half dead? Did mommy give a zombie a special hug and a half zombie baby came out? The the art here isn't bad either. It's actually a very talented artist, but it's so abstract in the vein of, say, Ashley Wood, that it's impossible to tell their characters apart, which becomes very important when some of them are alive and some of them are dead. (laughs) This just totally lost me. I gotta give it a leave it. And I feel bad, because it is well executed, it just misses the point. Inhumanity, number one from Marvel. This one shot does very little to further the plot kickstarted by Infinity, but it does present a very compelling history of the Inhuman race by Matt Fraction, Olivier Coipel, Linnell Yu, and Dustin Weaver. I like all those guys. Yeah. Karnak takes center stage, I and it's him. great to see him back in action, even if it's only for a little while. Buy it. Grim Fairy Tales 2013 Holiday Edition from Xenoscope. You did this to me, Joe Patrick. Here we see several different So many books stars. come out each week. <laughs> of the different Xenoscope titles coming together to celebrate Christmas, which means this is obviously an anthology comic, right? With each story having something to do with each gift. Or maybe not at all. This was a very heavy-handed anthology featuring strange fables that punish the poorly written wicked for poorly written wicked deeds. The art was terrible in parts and only okay in others. The story was loose at best and I'm not sure who this is written for at all. Leave it. And I mean really leave it. Indestructible Hulk Annual number one from Marvel. This was a fun little Hulk Iron Man team-up story by Jeff Parker and Mahmoud Asrar, who we talked about earlier, and he did a great job on the art. Like I said, it's fun, but it is hardly essential reading. Skim it. Six-Gun Gorilla, number six from Boom. Simon Spurrier proves he is the baddest sci-fi comic writer out there, and Jonathan Hickman better be paying attention. It turns out this story is about so much more than a gorilla with guns. You should buy it for that alone, though. But a much larger tale of what happens when the media runs out of ideas. Turns out a world without fiction can only be saved by a fiction writer. I loved this. And Jeff Stokely is officially one of my favorite artists. Buy it. This was so good. Watch for it on my best of the year. Wow. Yes. Shadow Man number 13 from Valiant. I fell off this title months ago, so I thought this jumping on point would be a good place to check in. Peter Milligan and Roberto Della Torre are the new creative team, and it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> I just don't think I'm interested. 
I'm not interested in this character. I said oh. it. It's my least favorite of all the Valiants. Oh. I just don't care about the hoodoo voodoo New Orleans. I'm not interested. I'm sorry. Plus, I'm deducting points for the British punk rock voodoo priestess. It made me groan. Ooh. I'm giving it a skim it, though, because it's executed in a competent way. It's okay. just not my bag. Okay. You know what I'm saying? All right. Absolution. Happy Kitty special from Avatar. It's number one. There's more to come. Here we oh. see the origin of Happy Kitty, and in true Avatar fashion, it's super f***ing violent. But writer Christos Gage also makes it very compelling, and artist Paul Duffield makes it amazing to look at. I thought this character was just a hit-girl knockoff. Wow, was I wrong. This was awesome. It was original, and it was perfectly violent. I'm giving this a buy it. Absolution is a great series. I was totally impressed with this. Yeah. I had no expectations. Trillium, number five from Vertigo. Jeff Lemire's time-twisted sci-fi romance begins the second half of its run, and I'm completely hooked. The pacing and storytelling methods Lemire uses are really inventive, and they keep the story moving forward. The main character's sense of confusion is reinforced in the reader with every inverted page. If you haven't been reading this, make the effort. Go back. Get caught up. You'll be glad you did. Buy it! Hawken Melee, number one from Arkea. This one is based on an online multiplayer mech combat game, and writer Dan Abnett does a great job taking the reader inside the cockpit. There's really nice art here by Federico Dalokio. Oh, Dalokio. Yeah. He's done stuff. The story centers around one fight that happens in roughly 30 seconds and how time seems to stretch out for the mech pilots in combat. This was really well done. I'm giving it a buy it. That is your ludicrous speed round, and doom is the sound of the Six-Gun Gorilla's gunfire, as seen in this week's issue of Six-Gun Gorilla, number six. It's a really big gun. Yeah. Christmas came early this week when Joe and I received our new Max Vaporizer all the way from Adelan. Maximus the Mad Inhuman has created a portable vaporizer, so you can enjoy a small amount of Terrigen Mist anywhere. So join us now in the Sanctum Sanctorum, where Joe and I have grown a few extra eyes and a tail with another head on it, but we also gained some foresight of next week's comics. Joe, what are you reading this week? And this isn't permanent, right? Get used to it, baby. Oh, boy. My pick for next week is Justice League 3000, number one from DC Comics, by Keith Giffen, J.M. DeMatteis, and Howard Porter. Here's your solicit. A new series starring the heroes of today. Tomorrow. <laughs> but what are these heroes doing in the year 3000? I don't know. And who or what brought them there? I also don't know. I love this creative team. I love Howard Porter on JLA. I love Howard Porter as well. I'm excited for this. I can't help myself. I don't know how it ties in, you're if at all, to the Legion of Superheroes. You really can't help yourself. I've heard that it doesn't, it which doesn't. freaks me out a little it bit. It doesn't. Remember when we read that story about I know. them launching this? I know. And I don't know what DC's doing by having two different versions of the same era. I thought you would be mad. I'm not mad. I'm just... I, I'm curious. I'm excited. I like to see how Reporter getting work. I like giving it to Mateus. There's a rumor going around that the Flash is Wally West. I don't know what to do. What if you never get the Legion again? I don't know what to do. I know. You're freaking out. He's bright red. You should see him, folks. He just popped. There's blood everywhere. <laughs> Matt, what are you excited for next week? I'm excited for Doc Savage, Man of Bronze, number one from Dynamite. This is written by Chris Roberson with art by 
Bilquis. This is Bil- Bilquis. Bilquis? Bilquis? Bilquis. I'm going to go Bilquis. I bet it's Bilquis. Evely. Bilquis Evely. Bilquis? Tweet at us. Tell us how to pronounce your damn name. Bil- Bilquis Evely. Let's just rest assured that we butchered that one. <laughs> Here's your solicit. In 1933, readers were first introduced to Doc Savage, the man of bronze, raised from the cradle to be the pinnacle of mental and physical perfection. Doc Savage travels the world using science and sinews to right wrongs, aid the oppressed, and liberate the innocent. With his team of able associates at their headquarters, high atop the tallest building in the world, Doc Savage is tireless in his pursuit of knowledge and justice. He is the first science hero. I love this character. I couldn't give t- about Doc Savage. Really? Man, I've always thought he was really cool. I mean, I, I really appreciate him great. for his history and legacy, but I just never... Did you like Tom Strong? Not really. I love Tom Strong. <laughs> I did love Doc Brass and Planetary. Okay, I love the idea of the science hero, and I'm really yeah, sure. excited for this. And no, I've always liked it. Doc Savage, and I hope they can bring him back and make him kick it. There's a cover by Alex Ross that is just oh, stupid good. Stunning. It looks like a Jim Steranko Agents of oh, uh, Nick yeah. Fury cover. Oh, it's so good. The THN Trade of the Week goes to Sheltered Volume 1 from Image Comics. This is written by Ed Brisson with art by John Christmas. It's got to be the most American name ever. So here's your solicit. The men and women of Safe Haven have been preparing for any and all end-of-the-world scenarios for years. However, their bunkers, weapons, and training can't save them from the one threat they never could have expected. Their own children. Wow! This collects sheltered number one through five, and it does it for ten bucks. You have no reason not to buy this. bargain. Sheltered is a really fun series. I've been keeping up on it. Very, very well-written stuff. And really cool original idea. And as always, we want to know what you're looking forward to. So get used to your new weird powers and extremities. And tell us what you're reading next week over at the THN Forums. It's time again for Matt and I to put on our thinking caps and answer one lucky listener's burning question. But this time, our question comes from a Twitter discussion between Andrea Shockling and Victor Von Zoom. That's right, kids. It's time for Ask a Nerd. This month, we're rapping about whether or not Marvel ever properly dealt with Hank Pym smacking the wasp back in the day. Way back in the day. In Avengers 213. Matt Bomb, do you have anything to say? To be fair, it also happened in Ultimate Avengers, which was just the Ultimates at the time, and I think we should discuss both. And it's an interesting question because Hank Pym is getting a lot of attention right now. He's going to be a character in, well, as far as we know, he's going to be a character in the upcoming Ant-Man movie. Maybe. Could be Scott Lang. Could be Scott Lang. Could be, who's Eric O'Grady. Could be Eric O'Grady. Who knows? Kind of doubt it. Guessing it's going to be Hank Pym. He should be in the next Avengers movie, which is about Ultron. And it seems like kind of a waste not to have him. Off track. Off track. What we do know, back in the day, when Jim Shooter was writing the Avengers... They were exploring the fact that Hank Pym was a flawed hero. And later on, we learned that he was bipolar. Back then, it kind of looked like he had a multiple personality disorder. And he was going through a phase where he was Ant-Man, he was Goliath, he was Yellow Jacket. He was a lot of different characters because he was trying to find his hero persona, if you will. During that time, he was married to the Wasp, correct? Yes. Okay, they were married. Well, I mean, they got married eventually. Pre-smacking. 
pre-smacking they got married yeah okay so during that time he was married to the wasp she was quite aware that he was having some mental issues and that he was trying to figure out where he belonged in this group of avengers and during that time he hauled off and smacked her (laughs) big time he whapped her a good one i'm calling it beating joe patrick says it's not beating (laughs) listen We had a long debate about this, and Matt's going to spin it as some sort of terrible flaw on my part. I'm just going to spin it that you're a wife beater. That's right. all. <laughs> Hank Pym has a reputation as uh, some sort of abusive husband. Yes. When in reality, he is not. In a moment of extreme weakness and duress, he did strike his wife, which is not okay. Is it spousal abuse? No, I don't think. I think abuse is a pattern. If I walk out. And I hit Casey. I think that you're trying to be just, funny. Can you just answer and the question, make sir? me look bad? Can you just answer in a the question? Very serious I'm situation. Yes, that is wife abuse. He has abused his wife. Abuse is a pattern of behavior. How was it dealt with? All right. And I are honestly, you ready for some facts? Are you done with conjecture? I would love would some facts because I was on. I went on the forums and I basically said I really don't know. All right, I'm not sure how it was dealt with. And a lot of people said I don't think it was dealt with well. Other people said I thought it was dealt with fine. Give me the facts. Here's what happened: Hank Pym did all that thing, all those things you said. He went through identity after identity. He's never been on the most solid ground. But what spurred on the initial behavior? I think the the path. To becoming Yellow Jacket. In the 60s, the late 60s, the Yellow Jacket persona came to be because Pym inhaled some kind of chemical nonsense that affected his mind and it caused him to have like a schizophrenic break. He comes to the Avengers Mansion as Yellow Jacket and he claims that Hank Pym is dead. I'm an Avenger now. Let's go, toots, or whatever. And Obviously, they know something's up. The Wasps knows that that's Hank Pym. He stays Yellow Jacket for a while. They get married, and he recovers from this, you know, kind of mental whatever. <laughs> what it actually says here in this, um, in this little history post is that while he is suffering through this schizophrenic personality crisis, the Wasp marries him right then well yeah like he comes not in his right mind and says marry me baby and she does it hey, yeah. and then he recovers to be fair i've had a few friends that did the same damn thing <laughs> like you know that's a bit whole, of lunacy that's got a married. whole <laughs> other conversation so he stays yellow jacket for a while he comes back and he is fine he goes away sometimes he's uh hank pym or ant-man or whatever he goes and has some solo adventures and then Henry Gyrick comes in and says, the Avengers are too damn big. We need to cut you down to a manageable size. And so he trims the team and Hank gets cut. And a year later, he comes back. He's had some solo adventures. He is behaving in a very hostile manner. He attacked a foe that had surrendered or stopped fighting. Captain America suspended him. Who was it? I don't remember. Okay. N- nobody super famous. Let's just say it was Whirlwind. Yeah. Wh- no, <laughs> Whirlwind was like, sure. oh, don't hit me anymore, dude. <laughs> Captain America has suspended Yellow Jacket. They're going to court-martial the guy. Pym suffers a complete mental breakdown. And he comes up with this harebrained scheme. I'm going to build a robot. And I'm going to have it adv- attack the Avengers. And I'm going to come in and save the day. And they're going to know that I'm worthwhile. He's crazy. Robot named? It's not Ultron. This is way after Ultron. Oh, okay. Yeah. Ultron Who? has already been around. Who is this? This robot was called 
Salvation One. Oh God. Yeah, so buddy. Hank Pym has a long history of being a real dip. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> the wasp figures out his plan, begs him to stop, and Hank hauls back and smacks her. Yeah, you make it sound forgivable. <laughs> no, that's not how I mean. I mean, that's no. that's the moment. Like, yeah. he, she tries to stop, and he's like, shut up, baby, smack. <laughs> that's not how it happens. Shut your bitch mouth! <laughs> that's not what happens either. <laughs> of course, the Avengers are attacked by this robot. Hank can't stop it as planned. Everything he's done comes to light. The Wasp actually saves the day, and Hank Pym is expelled from the Avengers, and Janet divorces him. Okay. And then for That sounds like comeuppance. For for some time after that, he's penniless, he's in disgrace. He's not like they didn't just say, Well, you had a moment of weakness there, soldier. We'll see you at the next meeting. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they kicked him out, she divorces him, and right. he's and he's just like get out of here. The same thing happened in the Ultimate You, but Cap beat the crap out of him first. Right. Right. <laughs> and later on, there's a whole bunch of stuff where this villain called Egghead brainwashes him and <laughs> tricks him into blah, blah, blah. Every, all of this stuff just leads people to think, oh, Hank Pym has obviously lost it because Egghead is dead and he's blaming Egghead for all this stuff that happened. <laughs> but really, it did. Egghead did do it. And so he gets thrown in prison and the whole deal. It's bad. Hank Pym goes through the ringer right. after this incident. Right. So my argument is yes. After some emotional trauma, Hank does the unforgivable and does pay the price. You're saying he paid for his crimes. And later on, after he's kind of regained his right mind, he earns his way back onto the team. He's not superheroing. He's in the West Coast Avengers just as Hank Pym, scientist right. guy for a while. I remember that. And then he eventually he goes back to superheroing. A fun fact is that Jim Shooter has gone on record as saying he did not intend for that scene to play out that way. In the comic... It, he's like working furiously on the machine right and she uh, janet comes up to stop him and while she's you know struggling or whatever she's in his his blood circle his blood circle <laughs> it's a boy scout term <laughs> uh you know he does one of these like leave me alone like, right with, not without even looking he like he's he's looking at the machine he throws his arms up just like get out of my way accidentally I'm, biffs her in the chops and he accidentally, <laughs> accidentally biffs her in the chops <laughs> but the artist bob hall Nebraska native. Oh. Uh, did it with a little bit more action. He thought right. it was like, it was more dramatic. Dr more dramatic. This Turned way. around, grabbed her by the hair, punched her in the mouth. <laughs> That's not how it went down either. So, to sum it all up, after God knows how many minutes it's been, Ugh. yes, I think Hank Pym did pay a steep price. Okay. Is Hank Pym a wife beater? No. No, I don't, I don't think so either. I mean, did I he hit his wife? Yes. Yeah. Is it okay? Of course not. You know what? And I want to give props to Jim Shooter for writing like a really, but nothing like this had ever happened in comics before, for writing a flawed hero that made a mistake and paid the price. And at the end of the day, I mean, he's human like you and me. I'm not saying that I, I smack my wife around. She's tougher than I am. She'd probably beat me up. So true. But I mean, the point being, when this was written in the 80s? It was the very early 80s. Okay, in the early 80s, nothing like this had been written before. And it was super ballsy of Marvel to put it out. Super ballsy, really. And do I think that Hank paid for it enough? I don't know. There's a whole argument there. I do like the character. 
I do like that he is flawed. He's not a perfect Avenger like all the rest of the guys pretty much are. Right. If nothing else, it has led to some interesting character examinations. Yes. yes. And I do think, though Matt has tried his best to twist it into something controversial. I have not tried to twist it. I, I do think that through the years, you know, the, the story has been telephoned to the point that yes. Hank Pym is a wife beater. Yeah. When he's not. Hank Pym went crazy, yeah. hit his wife one time. And a lot of people in the forums were kind of were kind of coming at it from that point of yeah. view. And I wasn't trying to whip anything up. I just want to know what people sure. actually thought. Yeah, so he did this thing and immediately paid for it. Yes. The ultimate version was obviously much more dramatic. Yeah. Hank Pym definitely beat his wife. Yeah. Like, not hit her. No, there had been a, her. he'd beat her before, too. There was, Got a can of bug spray, tried to kill her. Yeah. I mean, it, it was, was a whole bad. Thing. And then he went on to betray the Ultimates and, and started the a whole bad scene. And it was a thing. So there have definitely been versions of Hank Pym that are worse than the one we and they, have in the I'm sure they bleed together. It does tend to bleed together. It's an interesting question. And there's probably a lot more discussion that could be had. And if you want to, we've got to... It should probably be had by people much more culturally sensitive... Than us. <laughs> Who could possibly be more culturally sensitive than us? But if you think you might be, you should go to the THN forums where we've already started this thread. It is in the. Did we decide which one? It's in the catching up on the pile forum. Because it's a back issue, technically. It's it's a back issue. Right. But it could easily be in the Ask a Nerd as well. Maybe we'll restart it there or I'll move it there. We can move it there. Yeah, I'll probably move it there because I would like to have more discussion about this and see what you guys think. This will be the first Ask a Nerd where we. Put the conversation out to the rest of yeah, the Yeah, we're asking you guys. And continue the conversation. So, from here, go to the forums and add your two cents. What do you think? Tell me I'm a woman-hating jerk if that's your bag. Sure. Andrea Shockling, tell me if I'm right or wrong. <laughs> I, I, I live and die by, Andrea's, by, by Andrea telling me that I'm doing okay with gender politics. She's the only girl we know. <laughs> She's the only girl that says anything to me about it. Fair enough. I was so gratified that she said we were that we were right about the Frigga thing. Hey, all right. So, so I was like unreasonably overjoyed. If you have a burning question, something that's a little bit more easily digestible. Yeah, something more lighthearted. <laughs> it's not going to race relations or abortion or anything. You <laughs> like, can hit us up on like, the THN forums under the Ask a Nerd board or send us an email to it at nerd at gmail.com or call the ziggurat hotline sure 402-819-4894 memorize and literally ask a nerd and actually <laughs> ask us with your own mouth and we will answer it right here on the show sort of break it break it down like this and that is it for this wife smacking episode of THN. If you're not sure how many times you can hit your significant other before you're an abuser, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes or Stitcher, where you can give the show a star rating. And I don't mean to make light heart of it, but it is funny. A written review or a Stitcher thumbs up and help us to connect with other potential listeners. I swear I did it by It's like if you time. shake it three times, you're playing. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, what you said is way worse than what I just did. <laughs> That's all I can think of. You're liking it to shaking your wiener. That's your- all I can think of. I'm sorry. <laughs> Thanks to all of our past donors. And if you'd like to help keep us in marriage counseling fees and anger management classes, you can make your donation in any amount using our very respectful little PayPal button at nerd.com. Spousal abuse is a very serious matter, and we definitely You're understand not that. Not making light I of it. I can't say that more clearly. But it is funny to joke about it. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I'll probably leave that out. 
While you're there, you can find links to our Twitter feed, at TwoHeadedNerd, our email, TwoHeadedNerd at gmail.com, our YouTube channel, where nothing cool happens, THN Comic Cast, and our Skype handle, TwoHeadedNerd, all one word, and our direct phone number, 402-819-4894. You can use all of these things, too. Send slash call us with your Ask a Nerd questions. Ask the comic pushers what you should be reading or ask us to review your self-published comic book, printed, digital, or whatever. And don't forget to sign up for the THN forums, guys. This is your little virtual piece of the ziggurat where you can discuss this week's show or just rap about comics. Remember to follow us on Twitter and like our Facebook page if you want to get in on this sweet action. And if you want to hear our answers... To the question of the week, along with your own audio responses, be sure to check out the Twitter Nerd Answer of the Week podcast. If you already subscribe to this show, you don't need to do anything. It will just magically appear in your feed every Wednesday, and I have it on good authority that things are a little bit better with the iTunes yeah, feed. Sounds this like week. it's fixed. Next week, the comic butchers are back, and the rumor is Joe Patrick is going to take on Tag Team. They rap real damn fast. We'll see what you got. If you need more THN in your life, get over to THN.com and check out not one, but two movie reviews by The Credible Hulk, where he's talking about Catching Fire and... What's the other one? Frozen. Frozen. Oh, that's fun. They're diametrically opposed. That's neato. One is, yeah, catch- I guess. Yeah, one yeah, is yeah. catching fire, the other is freezing. I, I understand. Yeah. And a new comics on the rocks where my cousin, Chris Kelly, I'm outing him as my cousin. I don't know if I've done that before. Yeah, I, I mention that he's your cousin every time I post. Yeah, posted. never I'm not outing But he's on there reviewing whiskey and comic books. It's fun for nerds and alcoholics or both. Our weekly shout-out goes to Aaron Myers. Bad news, folks. His vasectomy got pushed back due to a snowstorm. Boy, I'll bet you can't wait until the streets clear up, buddy. Word to you and what used to be your nuts. <laughs> until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics. Your retailer just might kiss you on the mouth for it. This is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off. I mean, they're still there, right? I mean, I've never... No, nah, I think they just take them off. I've never had a vasectomy, I think you just, they give you something to bite and they just hack them like off. Like a leather belt. Like a dog, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Neutered! Neutered!